That's it. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot of things that you constantly do and are doing. But I'm glad you finished some things too. Glad that you are able to finish some things. Lord, there are some things that you'd like to finish in our lives. And tonight, or this morning, I pray that we would listen to your word and let you do the work and finish some work. As Christians, God, we're not perfect. Matter of fact, there is uh, still a lot of uh, us. But you have a way of replacing us with Jesus. And I pray that we would let you do that this morning. And work in every heart, please. Help me be a blessing to your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> All right. Title of the message. The microphone's on, right? Is it working? Okay. Letting God finish his work. Now, I need you to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, and we've got some scriptures to look at this morning. This was actually my Sunday night message. And then this morning I woke up and I went, drat. I knew it. I was enjoying it so much last night, finishing it, and I says, I know I'm going to preach it. Uh, I guess I've got to preach it in the morning. So, I'm a little frustrated because I would have rather spent more time on this message, but it's so good I just couldn't es escape it. So we're just going to do it, and you'll hopefully get some good truth and good things this morning. Letting God finish His work. Now, Genesis chapter 2, while you're turning, I want to say that God likes to work. It's actually... Uh, one of God's characteristics that he works. Chapter 2 and verse 2. I want you to see a phrase here in Genesis. Chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his what? Work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had made. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So when you... When you think about this world and this universe, God worked at creating an immense creation from the atoms. And you think about just one atom. I mean, there's a, this is called the periodic table. These are all the known elements from the known atoms that make up our universe. And each one is incredibly complex. They, they talk about physics, physics talk about what they understand atoms do, and they don't know one one hundredth about what they're talking about. It is so incredible how these atoms are made. But God didn't start with just a bunch of soup and, and elements. He made molecules. That's the sugar molecule, by the way, so that's very interesting to most people. But God put atoms together, and they make different items. God made atoms, molecules, every grain of sand, and every star and galaxy in the sky. A lot of work went into this universe, I think you would agree, but that's okay, because God likes to work. You know, God could have just snapped his fingers and everything just appeared, but God took six days to carefully, meticulously design and create everything that we enjoy. So, more importantly, God likes finishing his work. He likes finishing what he starts more than what he starts. Now we're opposite. We like starting a new project. We get excited when we when we move into a new home. We get excited when we when we start something new. But God likes seeing it all the way through and finishing what he started. 
And I'm grateful for that. Look, at, look you're in Genesis chapter 2. Go back to just one verse, to chapter 1, verse 31. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was what? It was very good. In the evening and the morning were the sixth day. He thought, cool. He, he, he looked out, he didn't go, oh, I'm wrecked. Oh, I hope this works. No, he was so pleased with finishing what he does. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes 7, 8 says this, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Now, you don't learn that till you're a little older. You know, a kid, you can't convince them that, oh, it's a great feeling when you finish a job. The kid can't conceive of that. But as you get a little older, you start to see the value of seeing something all the way through to the end. Now, I want to say this, that God is at work on every person in the world. If you're alive and if you're breathing, God's working on you. He is working at convicting people of their sin. John, Gospel of John, chapter 16. We have some scriptures to look at this morning. John, chapter 16. In verse 7, Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. You may say that God's very silent, but He may seem silent, but He is at work on every person breathing on this planet right now. John, chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, it is very important, and it is very good for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, who's the Comforter? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. The Comforter will not come unto you. I've got to go, so he comes. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove. That's negative. Notice. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So a lot of people, they may act like everything's fine, but in their heart of hearts, God is constantly convicting people of their sin. Yes, they get harder. Yes, they resist more. But aren't you glad that that God constantly is chipping away, trying to make us feel guilty so that we realize we need a Savior? He not only is at work convicting people, but He's drawing people. Look at chapter 6 and verse 44, still in John 6, 44. What does it mean to draw? Not like draw with artistry, but to draw means to attract, to pull toward. And John chapter 6, verse 64, or verse 44, says this, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So nobody just wakes up and says, I think I'll seek God today. No, if you ever do get the desire to come to church, it's because God was working on you. And if you ever do come to the conclusion that I need to get saved, it's because God was drawing you. God was attracting you. God was pulling on you. God was making your life miserable so that you would look to Him. Uh, Chapter 12. Chapter 12. Still in the Gospel of John. Chapter 12 and verse 32. John 12, 32. I like this. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw how many men? I'll draw all men unto me. And this he said, signifying what death he should die. So who all did Jesus die for? All men. And when when he was lifted up, the purpose of the cross is to draw all men unto Christ, be able to get to God. God is at work drawing people to himself. He's calling out a people unto himself. 
Israel is an example of what God can do when he says, follow me. And a nation followed him through the valleys, through the trials, through the wilderness, through the slavery. God called out a people unto himself, and he's still calling a people unto himself. He's converting people who believe. God is at work in people's lives, not just to make you a better person. The worst thing that could ever happen to a person in this room is to feel better and better about themselves and less and less about Christ. To get to the place where you think, I'm a pretty good person, and I'm, I'm doing very well, and thank you, God, for making me handsomer and making more me more beautiful and making me smarter, that will send you to hell faster than a bullet. You see, what, what all that God does in a person's life is not to make you smarter, faster, better, um, 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 gooder, is to make you saved, is to get you converted, is to make you a new creature in Christ. If, if he's not allowed to save you, then you've wasted your life. You've wasted your prayers. You've wasted your religion. Christ works everything. God does everything to draw you unto himself so that you get born again. And the best of all, he's at work changing believers, changing us not just into better people, but into a holy people. So thankfully, God is at work. But there are, there are three parts of his work, three phases, three steps. The first step is when God separates the believing sinner from the penalty of their sin. What is the penalty of our sin? The wages of sin is death. And that kind of death that it, that it is referring to is an eternal death, eternal separation, eternal punishment in hell, separated from God forever. And what God does, the first step is he saves you from the penalty of your sin. Amen? And the, 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 the most exciting event that will ever happen to your life is when you find out that Jesus died for you and you accept that death as sufficient to pay for your sin and you go away and you have eternal life now and you will not experience the penalty for your sin now because Jesus did. Isn't that breathtaking? You see, if your salvation doesn't thrill you, I wonder if you got saved because I got saved from hell, amen? I didn't get saved from a bad neighborhood. I didn't get saved from, from a bad bank. I didn't get saved from a bad family. I got saved from sin's penalty. But that was just the first step. There is the work of God separating the believer daily from the power of sin. Does God want you to sin, yes or no? No. So what he does is, on a daily basis, he enables you to not sin. Does it mean that you won't sin? No, you're still here, and you still will love sin, and you still will go your own way, and you still live the life of a rebel, but God is at work enabling you so you don't have to sin. Amen? Hallelujah. You say, I just, I just can't get the victory over this. You already have the victory over it. You just have not let God put distance between you and that sin and that addiction. And the third Stage of the work of God, hallelujah, is one day the completed work that will take us away from the very presence of sin. I'm looking forward to heaven. You know what's not in heaven? Anything that's sinful. You know what? The old me won't be in heaven. Only the new me will be in heaven. Amen? Amen. The old me is going to be buried and eaten in worms. Eaten by worms and agreed. The new me, the new nature, which is Christ in me, made me a new person. I'm going to be away from the very presence of sin. You know, there's going to be only joy in heaven because there will be no sin there, amen, no sorrow. So, <clears throat> remove, I, I have been removed from the penalty of sin, 
I am constantly being enabled to be free from the power of sin, where it tries to grab and, grip and, and, and have a grip on me, but one day I will be free from the presence of sin. I think that's a pretty good deal, don't you? I think the Christian life is the best life you could ever live. You try to live any other kind of life, the movie stars, the, the rock stars, they hate their life after a while. I, it only gets gooder and gooder for the Christian. Now, <clears throat> still going on the introduction, God started the work of redemption way back in the Garden of Eden when two lambs took the place of Adam and Eve. Remember God said to Adam, the day that you disobey, the day that you eat of that tree that I'm telling you, you can eat of any other tree, just not this one. Isn't it amazing how we will always be attracted to what we're not supposed to do? And the moment that you eat thereof, you will surely what? Die. So here they, Eve gets uh, tricked and Adam gets... <clears throat> um, he, he gets to decide between God and his wife, and he chooses his wife, and there they go, plunging all of humanity into the fall. And instead of God coming and saying, you're doomed, bye-bye, I'm gone, God said, bring out the lambs. And two young lambs came out, not little bitty baby lambs, but big enough, so that they would die in the place of Adam and Eve. The threat was still there. Somebody had to die for their sin. So the lambs died. And then God took those stupid fig leaves that Adam and Eve had tried to sew together. You know how hard it is to sew fig leaves together? Took that off and said, now wear these skins to remind you that something died so that you could go on living. So God began the work of redemption, salvation, back in the Garden of Eden. <coughs> all the Levitical laws and rules, all the precise ceremonies with the priests and the Levites and the high priest. Did you know they never sat down? You know, when they were on the job, they were constantly working. There were no chairs in the temple. There were no seats to sit down in the tabernacle. The, the, the process of forgiveness took work. And if you haven't tried to forgive somebody that was unworthy of it, you'll know it takes a lot of work. So those priests and high priests never stopped working. They constantly were um, uh, uh, atoning for the sins of all the people, and plus they're having to deal with their own sins. One day, Jesus finished all the work of redemption. Still in John, go to John chapter 19. <clears throat> John chapter 19 and verse 30. This is all just the introduction, so hold on to your hat. John chapter 19 and verse 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar as he's dying on the cross, he said, it is finished. Not I am finished. Remember what he said? He said, my means is do the will of my father uh, and to finish the work. Well, here he is. He says, it is finished. And he's bowed his head and gave up the ghost. You know, on the cross, everything that was important, that was of value, that was, that was priority, was done. And in that moment, Jesus made us righteous before God. He justified us, took us from condemnation to justification, from, from the wrath of God to the love of God. He forgave us of every sin, past, present, and future. Go to John chapter 17, back two pages, 17, verse 4. <clears throat> Again, I said that God likes to work, 
but he likes finishing the work. Look at what Jesus says in John 17, 4. I have glorified thee. This is him praying, talking to his Father. I have glorified thee on the earth. And I have, what's the word? Finished the work which thou gavest me to do. He lived the perfect life. None of us could. He took the place of absolutely everyone in death so that anyone could live forever. And he rose again, defeating even our worst enemy, death. He defeated death. Romans 5 says this, For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, Jesus, shall so many be made righteous. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know, uh, uh, God has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5 says, who know no sin. He never knew sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So you got to get this in your head, that our salvation is finished. Jesus does not need to be continually crucified. He does not need to die constantly on an altar in a church somewhere. The, the sacrifice of Christ does not need to be a continuing sacrifice. He doesn't need to be sacrificed again and again. It is what? Thank you. It is finished. Paid for. There's nothing more to do than just to believe it is done. Do you know how you get saved? Just believe it. You just say, well, I don't know if I believe it. Well, if you don't believe it, you're going to hell. But if you do believe it, you will receive it if you will accept it. Galatians 2 says this, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, all our good works, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, I want to get to the point that is a finished work. You ever see a, a crucifixion? You see Jesus on the cross, you can say, eh, eh, eh. I've seen the last chapter. He's off the cross now. It's a done deal. It's finished. An empty cross is, is, is okay. One with Christ still on it, that sort of confuses because it's done. But let me say, most people have sanctification and salvation confused. Salvation is done only by God through Jesus. Salvation is only done by God through Jesus. You can't help. You can't, well, I tell the example all the time, I had to have my appendix out. You know what they did to me to take my appendix out? Thankfully, they put me to sleep, amen? He did not want any help. Amen? You know, God does not accept your help in trying to save you either. You have to just stop and let Him do it. Sanctification, however, is a cooperative process between you and God. Sanctification is a process of growth and personal godliness. Now, you entered a state of sanctification at salvation. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. You belong to God. You have been separated from the world system around you. And don't you find yourself struggling to stay separate? But we still sin. Amen? I got two amens out of that. We still sin. Go to 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 1. Anybody who tells me they haven't sinned in 12 years, they're lying. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. <clears throat> Uh, start in verse 7, because I want you to see this, this 
work of, of God keeping you saved. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, keeps cleansing us, cleanses us from all sin. Why do we need that? Because if we say that we have no sin, verse 8, we're only deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So if we confess our sins on a daily, minute-by-minute basis maybe, however often you have to deal with your sin, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just always to what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we're making Him a liar and His word is not in us. So you will still wrestle with your old nature, with the old you. But you know what? Jesus will not let you wrestle alone. So don't mix them up. If you, um, I forgot I had this. If you mix up salvation, which is finished, with sanctification, which is a process, if you mix them up, you will think you have to be perfect before God, before He'll accept you. And you don't have to do anything for Him to accept you. He loved you when you were lost. He loved you when you were undone. He loved you when you were a mess. And by the way, you still are. Amen. If you start to believe that the process, I've got to work on this, I've got, I've got this sin in my life, if you start worrying about that and making that part of your salvation, you're going to be trying to be perfect. And you know what you'll do? You'll fail. Secondly, you'll constantly battle guilt and depression over sins that are still in your life. You know what I thought when I got saved, Wendy? I wasn't going to have any more sin. I thought I was never going to have any more trouble with the old me. I thought I was going to, was, it was smooth sailing from here on out. I was more than conqueror, amen, until I found out that my heart still deceives me. And still, sin still looked pretty. <laughs> and I still tripped up and fell. And, be, and, and there's, a, there's a time when you first get saved, you're flying on cloud nine. And then sin grabs you, sin gets your attention, and you take the bait, and you, you fall and hit the pavement. And at the bottom, you know what you go? Oh, man, I must not be saved. No, you're, you're saved, you're a son or a daughter of God, you just are still a sinner. And if you don't understand that salvation is done, sanctification is a process, you've got to now start working on, I've got to get the victory over this thing. I've got to walk in the light, I've got to stay in fellowship with the Lord, I've got to read my Bible so that I don't fall so hard, so that I don't fall so often. The third thing, if you mix up salvation and sanctification, you'll believe you can lose your salvation. You know, you can, blow your, you can blow your walk with God. You know what that means? You can be going along, reading your Bible every day, handing out tracts every day, uh, being to church every week. You can be uh, praying every morning, every noon, and every night. You can be going great and then blow it and go three weeks without doing any of it. And if you're not careful, you think, oh, I guess I'm not saved. No, you just backslid. Amen? All right. The need is for a believer in Jesus Christ to allow him to finish this this finishing work. He already finished salvation, but allow him to finish the work that he began at their salvation. He did all the work to save you, but now he wants to finish a work that changes you. All right. So, what is the work that Christ is busy at right now doing in you and my life? Number one, he's trying to make everything in our life work for good. Go to Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, one of the most blessed promises in the Bible. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. 
And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Is everything working together for them that are unsaved? No, man. You know what? The devil will make an unsaved person's life maybe wonderful, wealthy, prosperous, awesome. But it's not going to work out for good, is it? But you know what? God is going to take everything you go through, if you'll let him. You can, you can hinder him. But he'll make every valley you plowed through, every hole you found yourself in, every defeat, every failure, every mess up, he'll make it all work for good. That's what a Christian finds out. God is busy picking up the pieces that you give him. <laughs> Say, Lord, I blew it again. Lord, I'm a mess. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I did the wrong again. And Lord, I'll pick that thing and say, I'll fix it. I'll put that, oh, man, you don't know where that's going to go. That's going to go right there, and this will go over here. And in heaven, you'll see how God makes everything beautiful in his time. To them that love God and to them who are the call according to his purpose. God is busy making every, if you're saved, you ought to just sit back and laugh and go, the devil means everything for evil, but God will make it for good. Secondly, he's trying to conform us to the image of his son. Romans 8.29 now goes on. For whom he did foreknow, he knew you were going to get saved. He also did predestinate, watch this, not to be in heaven, but he has predestined, he has predetermined for you to be conformed to the image of his son. So that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren just like him. What is he saying? All right, so some of you know what modeling clay is. All right? It's really cool when you sit down with your grandkids and you can... You make a, you know, a horse, or you make a rock. That's what, what I can make. And you make different things, and, and you're conforming that to an image in your mind. But I, let, I too often let the world conform me to the image of the world, don't we? I let the pressures of life, I let the pressures of trouble, I let the pressures of stress squish me into an image that's ugly, angry. Just bad. When the Holy Spirit's trying to conform me to be like who? Like Jesus. Did Jesus live under stress? He sure did. <laughs> Jesus handled incredible trouble. I mean, there was no place to lay his head. You've never, you've never had experienced that more than once or twice in your life where you had no place to go at night. And he, every day, yeah, I don't know where we're going to stay tonight. He lived without money. He lived people constantly trying to kill him. He lived where the devil's trying to trip him up, trying to uh, uh, lure him by temptation and by pressure. He had people trying to trip up and catch him at his words. He lived under stress all the time, and he was good, wasn't he? And, and what, is, what is God trying to do in my life, trying to make me like him? Thank God. Uh, go to Romans chapter, we'll that. go to uh, 1 John 3 and verse 2. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. 1 John, almost to Revelation, chapter 3. In verse 2, beloved, written to Christians, now are we the what? Now I hear people say this, oh, when I'm saved, what do you mean when you're saved? Well, when I get to heaven. No, 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 no. Either you're saved now or you ain't getting to heaven. All right? 
I have the gift of God, which is eternal life, right now. All right? That Bible says, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. When you're looking at Craig Ledbetter, you don't know what I'm going to be. All right? You know what I is. You know what I was. But you have no idea what I'm going to be. Because God is at work changing me. Amen? Keep going. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. One of these days, I'm going to be just like him. I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be like my dad. And one of the things I shared at my father's uh, memorial was, growing up, I, I looked up to my dad. And it took salvation for me to get back to looking up at him and, and to loving him, because I got away. I, he kind of let me down in a big way when he left my mom. But I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be like my older brother. My older brother just was, was really... And, and there's, there's probably many people who had older brothers or older sisters that you wanted to be like. Well, I've gotten over all that. I want to be like Jesus now. And one of these days, according to the Bible, he's trying to conform me to that image. He's trying to, he puts a pressure on now, amen, to change me. First Thessalonians, he's trying to make us holy. First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 3. For this is the will of God. This is God's will for your life, that even your, what's the word? Sanctification. This is the process whereby God is changing you, that ye should abstain from fornication. What is that talking about? That you'd be able to stay away from sexual sins, which is predominant today, so that you can be holy. I'm not going to go through all of the verses, but I'm just telling you, God wants to make you holy in an ungodly environment. So you find yourself in certain situations, you're sitting down and uh, you're with, with, quote, friends, you're with, with people that are just ungodly, and the Lord says, shine, bud. Don't let them drag you down, don't let them pull you down, don't let them darken you. Shine, stay holy, use your mouth for good, say something that honors Christ, preach the gospel, give your testimony, walk away, whatever you have to do to stay holy in an ungodly world. That's the work of, of God in our life. Fourthly, to get us to live by faith, go to Galatians. Galatians, chapter 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says this, For I am crucified with Christ, that's my identity now, I never got over the cross, amen? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I anymore, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I want to get to the place where I live by faith and not by sight like I'm used to. Where I, where I you know, when I live by sight, I worry a lot, do you? I panic. I fret. I wonder if I'm going to make it. When you live by faith, you know it's all going to turn out good. You're just doing what God calls you to do. You're just doing what God says to do. God is working on every one of us to get us to learn to live by faith and not by sight. 
Next, he's writing the laws of God in our hearts. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8. I want to encourage you this morning that God is busy in your life and you don't even know it. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10 says, For this is the covenant that will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. Watch what he does. He's talking to Israel. He says, Way out in the future, I will put my laws into their mind. Where did God put his laws first day? Look up here for a second. Where did he put his laws first day? On stone. If I can look at it. Like a monument, a reminder, amen. But it wasn't in their hearts, was it? And God says... I want to put my laws in your mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be their God, to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. God's trying to put, listen, you come to church, do not just sit there and go, okay, all right, yeah, good, it's over. <laughs> Let God speak to your heart. Let him engrave it. Let him cut your heart open so he can put the word in you. So when the, when the pastor, when anybody's preaching, when, when somebody's saying something from the Bible, let it go in deep. Because that's what Jesus wanted when he was teaching. He wanted to go deep into them and change them from the inside because that's his work. He also tries to get us to do the will of God. I'm not going to go back there, but First Thessalonians says, this is the will of God. Even your sanctification. God wants us to know what is your will. Um, uh, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You know what the verse is before that? Um, oh my goodness. First, uh, go to Ephesians. E Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, chapter 5. And verse 17. Wherefore? Ephesians 5, 17. Wherefore, be not unwise. We'd say, don't be stupid but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So he's trying to get you to know and to do the will of God instead of just doing whatever comes naturally. You know what you do when you do something naturally? You stay in bed. You know what you do when you're just being natural? You burp in front of people. You know what you do when you just do things naturally? You let the dishes uh, pile up, gentlemen. We just naturally, that's how we are. But you know what, if I know what the will of God is, I'll, i got to act, i got to fix this, i got to do this. I gotta, you'll know what you're supposed to do. And he's constantly trying to teach you his will. He's enabling us to live in this world, but not to be dependent upon the world. John 17. Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 18. As thou hast sent me unto the world, into the world... Jesus says, even so have I also sent them, my disciples, into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Wait a minute. I'm sending them out in the world, but I'm sanctifying them. Which means this. I'm actually, here's the crowd. The crowd's going this way. I have to send my disciples out to that crowd, but they will walk on a different path. They will be in the world, but they will not be dependent upon the world. They won't be of the world. They won't need the world. They will, they will be an example, a light, and a witness to the world. Wow, what happened there? Oh, I know. Uh-oh is right. The goal is to sanctify us wholly and completely. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3. 
or verse 23, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you, set you apart, make you holy, H-O-L-Y, but sanctify you holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. What does that mean? Completely. The very God of peace would sanctify you completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God wants to set you apart completely. You see, a lot of you think this. A lot of you think, okay, well, I go to church. I'm, I'm spiritual, but, but your thought life is still wicked. The movies you watch are still wicked. The friends that you hang around with still are wicked. And God says, you know what? I'm trying to, I'm trying to separate you unto me as a different people. Not that you don't have friends but that you choose your friends wisely. You walk with wise people. And the thoughts that go through your head, you just don't let run. You say, ah, oh, that doesn't belong in there, and that doesn't belong in there, and I better cast that down. Because God wants me sanctified, clean, completely, body, soul, and spirit. All right. Philippians 3.21. Go back a few more pages, last thought. Philippians 3.21 says this. What work is God, is God doing in the believer's life, he's getting you all the way to heaven. <clears throat> Look at what he says. Philippians 3.21, who shall change our... Wow, vile. What does vile mean? Awful. Wicked. Vile is something like, ugh, I don't want to touch it. So Paul even says, hey, listen, as, as much as I've been living for God, as much as I've grown up in the Lord, as much as I've served God, I still have a vile life. And he says... He's going to change this vile body that it one day may be fashioned like unto His glorious body according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. So God's going to get you. You say, I'm not living very well as a Christian. I'm not doing well. You can trust this. You're still going to heaven. He's still going to get your vile body changed into a new body. He's still going to get you because you know what? He's the way, not you. Amen? Thank God. All right. Now, God made some promises. Let me make some real quick things. He promised He'll never leave you. Even if a believer leaves Him, He cannot leave. He cannot deny His nature. He is committed to all of us. Aren't you glad He's committed? Because if He's conditional and He says, well, you know, if you blow it, I'm walking away, God can't do that. Now, humans, we do that all the time, but not God. Secondly, He'll always be working on us. My life verses, Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath began a good work on, in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He'll keep working on it. But let me quote uh, uh, Weston's favorite verse. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Psalm 138. He's perfecting me. Problem is, Weston thinks he's already done it. Anyway, <clears throat> at least he tried to convince Beth of it. He's perfecting us. He's pruning us but he's also strengthening us. He's always working on us. And the great truth is this, he will finish the work. If there's one thing you can learn from the Bible, it is that whatever God starts, he finishes. Amen? There are things that we need to do so that, we can, so that God can finish the work. You know, 
if you don't let God, if you, if you keep arguing with God, if you keep fighting God, if you keep stepping out of His will and out of His way of working in your life, you're going you're, you're, you're gonna to slow down the process. You're going to become bitter. You're going be, to become eternally grouchy. You're going to be totally frustrated. Am I talking about anybody today? <clears throat> you're going to be full of regrets with your life if you don't let God just work. So what does he do? What does he want us to do? Let me give you just a couple of thoughts and we'll be done. Number one, learn of him. Go to John 17, 17. Learn of Jesus. Do you know where Mary, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, do you know where Mary, sister of Martha, do you know where you find her when Jesus comes into their home? Where is Mary? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, hanging on every word, listening to him, whatever he says. Matter of fact, she listened so intently, she actually believed what he was saying. She learned when he would talk about, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. She said, well, I got to go get you ready. And she went and she got that alabaster box because she was paying attention. So John chapter 17, if you want to have a sanctified life, a different life than the world, a different life than you're used to living, John 17, 17 says this, Jesus praying, he says, Lord, sanctify my disciples through thy what? And thy word is truth. Um, I know you're busy. I know we're coming up to Christmas. I know you got 47,000 things you got to do before Christmas Eve. But there's nothing more important than being in your Bible and reading it and reading it and listening to it and listening to Jesus and learning of him. Go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew. By the way, you'll learn of Jesus in Genesis. <laughs> you'll learn of Jesus in Exodus. You'll learn of Jesus every page and every book of the Bible. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. <clears throat> Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke is not a noose. <laughs> Aren't you glad? <gasps> a yoke is between two animals, and, and Jesus says, I will guide you. You're kind of a, a wild horse or whatever, a wild mule. You've never been broken. So put the yoke on you, and I will keep you on course. And watch what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Watch what I do. Watch what I don't do. Watch how I react and you do the same. Learn of Jesus. Because when you start to, when you, when you are natural, you're out, you're out of God's work. You're constantly like a, you know, um, a, uh, uh, I was going to say a greased pig. Do you even know what that is? Are we so far away from the farm? You can't catch a greased pig. But that's how we live. We live. You're not going to catch me, Lord. And, and, and so the Lord says, I'll try tomorrow. And, and we just, we are so prone to squiggle and worm and, 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 and walk away from the work that God. What I need to do is I need to watch Jesus, learn of him, watch how he reacts and says, I want to be like that. Secondly, yield to pressure. This is super important. 1 Peter chapter 5, go to the right, go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Yield to pressure. How many of you like pressure on you? How many of you like pain? Not there. But in, this, in the Christian life, who 
who do we normally blame for our troubles? I know sometimes we blame the devil. Sometimes we blame our spouse or our kids. Sometimes we blame our neighbors. But we end up blaming God. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the what? All right, the mighty hand of God. So, now my hand's not very mighty, but let's pretend that it is. If I begin to push down on this guy, guess what he normally does? He will push back. Isn't that how we are? To humble yourself is when he tries to push you down, is that you yield. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. You say, oh, God, I don't want this. God, this is hurting. God, everybody's watching. God, I, I don't like what you're putting me through. Humble yourselves and yield to that pressure that you know is from God, or even when you don't know it's from God, it still is from God, that he may exalt you. As much pressure as he puts on you and he seems to break you, he, in the same measure, if not in more, will raise you back up. Amen? He's not going to leave you there. He's not going to break you and go there. <laughs> What you're doing is you're, you're yielding control of your life and to your circumstances, even when it hurts, to him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord in all good times. I snuck a word in there that is not there, is there? Trust in the Lord, and that's it, with all thine heart. Don't lean on thine own understanding. Don't try to figure it out. In all thy ways, just honor him, just obey him. And he will direct your path, even when he's directing you down a path that is hard. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Go to the left. Hebrews chapter 12, especially when he's chastening you. Hebrews 12, 5. Hebrews 12, 5 says, Ye have forgotten. Oh, the exhortation which speaketh unto you is unto children, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Wait a minute. I, I, I don't want chastening. I don't like it, but he says, don't despise it. Don't faint and don't quit. Verse 6, for whom the Lord hates, he chastens. Is that what it says? That's what we think. Why do you hate me? What is, what is wrong? <laughs> no, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourges. Sometimes you're going to feel like he's just whipping you around the, the block. And he scourges every son whom he receiveth. Now, if he endure chastening, God dealeth with you as his sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? If you don't ever get in trouble, if you don't ever, um, uh, God, you don't ever sense God catching you when you're sinning, then you're not saved. I guarantee you. If if God's not chastening you when you do wrong, then then you're wrong. <laughs> you're not saved because he. Uh, uh, the, there is not a son that the father doesn't chasten. Because if thou be without chastisement, whereof all of us are partakers, then are ye bastards, you're an illegitimate child, and not sons. Verse 9, furthermore, we've had, our, we've had fathers, our own parents of our flesh, which corrected us, and boy, we gave them reverence, didn't we? Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days, our early life, they chastened us after their own pleasure because we got in their way, because we weren't letting them watch their TV show, because we were making them fix a different dinner than we wanted, than they wanted. We got in their way, and they chastened us because of their pleasure. 
but he for our profit. So when he's chastening us, it's for our benefit that we might be partakers of his what? So I can be sanctified. So when I feel the pressure, when I know God is chastening and correcting me, I need to endure it. I need to wait on God to finish what he started. And if he has to, how many of you were ever grounded for a week? Let me see your hand. How many were grounded for a week? Oh, come on, half of you are lying. Come on, how many for a month? Amen, all right. I mean, wow, those were the days where, I mean, we had no phone. I had no way to, there was no internet, there was no cell phones. I mean, we have a solitary confinement, man. And days took years. I, I just, wow, it was just awful. You'd go to school and then you'd come home real slow. Because when you got home, you were, all the other kids were out playing and you were grounded. Had to endure. And you know, when the Lord sort of puts you aside for a little bit, and, ground you and you're in trouble just just let god be in charge not you don't run from it don't try to cheat it don't try to say oh lord i don't want this when the lord's got you he's got you which is better than sin getting you amen so just let him work because it will be beautiful when i read ecclesiastes 311 it says he makes all things beautiful even the bad things in his time Thirdly, trust and rest in his work being done. Now, you'll always find somebody to trust. You'll always turn to something. People, when they, when they can't trust friends, they'll turn to a drug. When they, when they fall out with a girlfriend, they turn to drink. They'll trust that drink to numb the pain. They'll trust that drug to give them a high. They'll trust maybe uh, 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 some new friends to give them some buzz. They'll... they'll, uh, uh, they'll be somebody that they just, I'm going to trust you now. We all are yearning for somebody to trust and to rest with. But Isaiah 30 says this, For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning, which is repentance, and in rest shall you be saved. Now there's not salvation saved, but it's delivered from our trouble. In returning to God and resting shall you be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. So let me give you an example. I don't doubt there's anybody in this room who'd say, I don't believe in God. Kind of strange to be in church and say, I don't believe in God. But if you're here, hallelujah. I'm hoping you get the gospel, we get saved. But let me give you an example. My mom believes in airplanes. She's seen them fly. She knows they can fly. She knows how they fly. She's a smart woman. She understands why they fly, aerodynamics. But she will not get on one. She ain't trusting one of them, amen? Do you understand my illustration? There are people who, oh, I believe in God. I believe He made everything. I believe He wrote the Bible. I believe Jesus came and died, but they don't trust Him one second with their life and with their future. You see the difference? Trust Him. When God begins to work on your life, trust Him. When He begins to bring you low, trust Him. When he breaks your heart, trust him. He's going to make it better. Job had to learn that. He had to turn to his wife. He had no words of encouragement except the Lord has taken, the Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Let's trust him. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me tell you, if you want to make it so that God's work 
gets finished faster in you and, and more efficiently in you. Learn to trust him. Don't just say you believe. Because if you believe, you will be tested. <laughs> and you'll find out, I, I really didn't, I didn't trust him. Because if you trust, you'll keep going. You'll keep loving. You'll keep trying. You'll keep forgiving. Rest in his work and say, Lord, I guess this is going to be good. Don't feel like it, but I guess it is. Obey, obey simple instructions. Go to Exodus, sorry, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 and verse 5. You know, we're always worried about the big things. We're always worried about the, 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 the big, scary things that we think God's going to come and ask us to do. And I'm going to tell you, you know, if you just get into the habit of just obeying the simple things in the Bible, if you just make the Bible your source of instruction, you say, well, whatever Jesus says do, I'll do. I had... I've had several people come up to me and say, well, if I'm going to be a Christian, does that mean I have to give up drink? I've always wanted to say yes. <laughs> but no. You know what I've always said? I've said, you need to be willing to do whatever Jesus asks you to do. You know, a lot of Christians in this room who have not gotten to that place yet, where whatever Jesus asks you to do, not what the pastor asks you to do, but whatever you find in that Bible, if God says this is what you ought to do, this is what you not ought to do, you go, Obeying the simple things. Look at Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, not just in act where everybody looks and goes, look, I'm obeying God, but you're not. If you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me. You'll be special. You'll be sanctified above all people. For all the earth is mine, but I want you more than all. You know, Jonah just needed to obey the will of God for his life. If Jonah had yielded to God instead of going kicking and screaming to Nineveh, you know what Jonah would have been? The greatest prophet of all time. His prophecy, his life was going to point to the coming and the greatest event in history, the resurrection. But Jonah never, under, never understood that, never yielded to the will of God, fought God, argued with God, kicking and screaming the whole process, and now we know him as a bad attitude Baptist. Jonah missed what God was trying to finish in his life because he just didn't obey. Haven't you found that if you just do what God says, it saves you a whole lot of time? Lastly, be thankful for everything. Colossians 3, Colossians 3. I could give you another 10, but these are things that I really want to emphasize this morning about yielding and allowing God to finish the work, not finish salvation. If you're saved, you're saved. If you've got a new Bible, these new Bibles that say that you're being saved, throw it away because it's a done deal, folks. You're not being saved any more than I'm being married. All right? I is married. It's a done deal. And I, I am saved, but I'm being sanctified. I am being made better and like Christ, but, I'm, but what makes it easiest on God and easiest on me is to learn to change the way I see things. Look at Colossians 3.14. Colossians 3.14 says this, And above all these things, Put on what? 
All right, charity. Oh, what's charity got to do with it, Lord? It's easy to love those who love you. Go back to verse. Oh, mm. look at verse 13. Forbearing one another. What does forbearing mean? Putting up with. And forgiving one another. Is that always easy? No. If any man have a quarrel against any, even, any, even as Christ forgave you, so forgive ye. How do you do all that? And above all these things, put on charity? I got to love those who have hurt me? It's the bond of perfectness? And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which ye are called. And by the way, be ye thankful. If you will start noticing the, the events in your life as of God instead of as of your enemy, you'd, you'd be like Joseph in prison, or you'd be like Joseph in slavery, or at any time in young Joseph's life, you know what he said? Everybody's meant everything for evil against me, but God always meant it for good. He changed the way he looked at his events. And he was thankful when he was in prison for those years there. He served others. Why? He says, I'm just grateful to have health to be able to help you. You're in a bad way. Let me help you. He was able to look at the hurt, was able to look at the events of his life and just thank God. You know what that does? It keeps you humble. So as you're not fighting with God all the time. So you're not arguing with them. So you're not murmuring and complaining. You know what God did to murmuring and complaining people in the Old Testament? He killed them. Some don'ts. Don't, hon don't hinder, block, frustrate, or limit God's work in you. Whatever it is, by the way, it's everything going on in your life. Let me say it again. Everything happening in your life is God. When Job lost his family, lost his health, lost his wealth, lost his friends. You know who he wanted to talk to? God. He didn't say, where's the devil? I want to go into the devil, what for? Because the devil took it all. But you know what Job said? God's in control. I need to talk to him. So when there's trouble in your life, don't block him. Secondly, don't neglect salvation. See, if I've got you all worried about being a godly man, godly woman, living the will of God, Trying to, trying to let God finish the work that He began in you at salvation, and there never was salvation, I've got you more lost than ever. The Bible says, don't neglect getting saved. Don't put it off. Today, if you're here, without Christ, I'm talking about, well, i got a Bible, well, I've got my prayers, but if you've never once humbled yourself and cried out to God Almighty and said, save me, I'm lost. Because Jesus died for me, I trust Him. If you haven't done that, you're going straight to hell. But if you have done it, welcome to the family. Don't confuse salvation, a one-time event, with sanctification, which is an ongoing process. Don't confuse them. See, I don't have to worry about being good enough to go to heaven. I don't have to worry about trying to earn God's love or His forgiveness. I've already got it. But I do have to worry about being more and more like Jesus. Amen? I do have to worry about yielding and letting Him work on me. Don't be so hard on yourself either. Don't be so hard on yourself. Maybe you will never arrive 
You'll never be able to say, I no longer am selfish. I no longer am proud. <laughs> I'm proud to say. <laughs> I have complete victory over sin. No, you won't. When you've got one dealt with, there are three more that will pop up. So don't be too hard on yourself. Paul wrote one of the greatest chapters in the New Testament for the Christian to balance us out, which is Romans chapter 7 that says, the things that I would do, I don't. And the things I don't want to do, I do all the more. <laughs> oh, wretched man that I am. Amen. Don't be too hard on yourself when you fail and fall. You know what the devil delights in? Reminding you of your failures. You know what you need to realize? The Lord's there for you. Lord hadn't given up on you. The devil will make you feel like you've blown it or whatever. You have not. Because if you've blown it and, and if God can't keep you saved, then God's a bad God. Don't be too hard on yourself. Allow yourself to be a failure at times. Just don't try it. <laughs> don't look for it. <laughs> you know what God does? He says when he's working on you and you mess up, you know what he does? <clears throat> and he starts over. Let him start over like that clay in the potter's hand. You may have to start over 35 times, but God doesn't give up. And don't quit. Do you know you can be faithful? You know what Paul says? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ. He says, you guys have been faithful. He's going to remain faithful to you. Don't quit. God is at work at every person in this world. I'm glad Jesus finished the work of redemption, the work of salvation. Have you let him save you yet? I did 37 years ago. Sanctification is a cooperative process that, that you and God are working together to make you holy, to make you like Jesus. It is a process of growth. It is a state where you are not only close to God, but you're able to, to, to walk when everybody else is falling around you like those three Hebrew children in Babylon. We'll always wrestle with sin. We'll always wrestle with our old nature, but Jesus will not let you wrestle alone. There is work for you and I as believers to do to grow. Listen, you know what your kids got to do to grow? Eat, sleep, do some chores. Run around out in the neighborhood. If they just sat in front of the television, you know what they're going to do? Die. Amen? And when we just sit and do nothing and we don't participate in our own natural growth, we die. We fall apart. Let's get up. Let's take this thing. Our theme this month is finishing the work. He's already finished one thing, salvation. Let's join with him. Let's, let's, by this time next year, I'd like us to be all be able to say, there's been growth in my life. And not because I've seen it, it's because other people have seen it. The need is for the believer to allow Jesus to finish the work that began at their salvation. And your efforts, by the way, your efforts are not what that sanctify you. I want to stop with this. You will not become holy by doing. Does that make sense? Well, I will read my Bible and I'll be more holy. No, 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 no. It's the obedience to whatever God asks you to do that makes you holy. Because he may ask you to just give out a gospel tract. See, some people are one-sided and they're not another-sided. It's not what you do that makes you holy. 
It is God that makes you holy. It is God that sanctifies as you yield, as you obey, as you rest, and you thank him. But it takes work learning to trust him, praise him, yield to him. Father, we bow, and I just thank you for these thoughts. There's some big thoughts, and we need it. Because too many people, and we could all probably admit that we fought you at the point of salvation. We argued with you. We thought our religion was good enough. We thought our prayers were enough. We thought our, our own righteousness was enough. We argued with you about the cross. And it took us too long for us finally to get saved, for us to finally admit that we were sinful and doomed. I'm glad we finally gave in. Glad we finally surrendered. Glad we finally believed. But here we are now on this side of, of our salvation. And you began a new work in us. You began a, a good work in us. It's a long work. And a lot of things to work on. But our goal this morning is to make it easier on you. To not frustrate, not block your hands, not not jump off the table when you're trying to fashion and shape us. So, Lord, when we look back on the last week or month or year and we say, wow, God must really have been working on me because, man, did I fight. Forgive me. I'm sorry, Lord. Lord, help me to yield, to trust, to submit, to be thankful, to rest, knowing that you're only doing marvelous things. You only do good. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would let you change us through this next year. God, finish the work so when we get to heaven, there's no regrets. In Jesus' name, amen.